Well, good morning. Good morning. I know that we've already done announcements and I was hanging out with my, ne my niece, my niece, Mac, over on the other side. And so I didn't hear all of them, but I know that these cards were mentioned. Uh, I want to challenge you guys today, if you call Crosspoint home, to take three of them with you and find three people you can hand them out to or three places you can leave one. I heard a little rumor that these made an appearance at Black Lab and that they were seen on some of the tables, but it's just a little invitation card uh, to let people know about what's happening here at Easter, to invite them to our church. Obviously, the breakfast and the worship service and the egg hunt after. We're going to have the photo booth and drawing for flowers balloon giveaway again. I know I'm repeating information, uh, but this day is important. Uh, oftentimes, people will come to church for a special occasion, and this is certainly one as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior and what that means to us. And so I want to challenge you to invite people to be here that day. I think we're going to have a really powerful service, and obviously, uh, I believe that God meets us here each and every Sunday. And so we want to invite people to be able to share in that experience with us. And I hope that you will take part in that by taking at least three of these things and finding three people, or like I said, three places uh, to leave them, maybe in the bread aisle at Walmart or who knows, stick it out there. Just, just get them all over the place. Today we continue our series, What is Love? It's part three. Uh, the first week we looked at loving our neighbor. Last week we looked at uh, loving our family in Christ, right? We talked about how both weeks really just applies to all people. Well, today we do get a little bit more specific and we're talking about family relationships, right? How do we love our family? So the nuclear family consisting of father, mother, and children as seen in the Bible is under attack in modern society. Fathers aren't really needed, mothers aren't cherished, and kids aren't taught a healthy fear, which we refer to as respect, right? The Bible is clear in its expectations for the family dynamic. Uh, today, I ignore the critics asking me to mind my own business and order in order to focus on your family, right? Uh, mine as well, but also your family. And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 22. We're going to go all the way to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. I'm going to read this whole chunk of scripture, and then we're going to break it down little by little and just talk to uh, what the Lord is sharing with us today. So starting in chapter 5, verse 22, it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing the water through the word and, pre and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their own body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, and for this reason, as a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband." Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, honoring your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
Lots of heavy stuff here. I'm going to open with a prayer, and then we're going to dive in. God, I come to you right now this morning, Lord, and we just pray blessing over your word. We pray blessing over the message that you are here to share with us this morning, God. May you soften our hearts, open our ears, and allow us to hear the truths that we see in Scripture. And God, apply these things to our lives. And look not how we might serve ourselves, God, but how we might serve others. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. All right. So I'm going to start with verse 22 in Ephesians chapter 5, which, as you know, says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Okay. I'm going to hit you guys with a few um, truths here that may come off harsh, but I don't intend for them to be that way. It's just something that I think that we need to clear and set a foundation for. Because as a pastor, you may know that oftentimes I'm asked to perform weddings. And believe it or not, in almost almost every wedding that I've done, um, I have been asked to make sure I don't use that verse. If you could just leave out the part about submitting, right? all the time. It happens, I would say, 90-ish percent of the weddings that I've done. If you could just leave that part out, right? And here's what I have to say to you guys. If you have a problem with that verse, first and foremost, you have a problem with pride. If you have a problem with that verse, first and foremost, you have a problem with pride. You're more interested, I believe, in being your own God than following God. Chances are that you haven't sought to truly understand this verse And maybe you don't want to understand this verse because you just don't like what it has to say. But at the bottom of this issue, at the foundational level of this issue, what's causing that tension is a heart issue, which is caused by a head issue. We're overthinking the words here. We're misinterpreting the words here. We haven't sought to understand the words here. And so we think to ourselves, I am not going to be a slave in my marriage, right? I'm not going to be a slave in my marriage. I'm not here to be a servant. And guess what, ladies? You're exactly right. And I'm here to support you today in those things, but we need to talk about this. And this is what I'm going to tell both men and women today as we discuss the roles of husband, wife, child, and parent. A hardened heart closes reasonable ears. A hardened heart closes reasonable ears. So the only thing I ask from you today is to listen to everything I have to say, not just focus or hone in on a single thing that's mentioned today, because that's oftentimes how this verse that we just read is abused, right? It's used out of context. It's used uh, as some sort of solo like mantra, and that's not okay. And so I'm asking you to give me the benefit of the doubt today as you hear certain things, listen to the message as a whole, and if you have any issue with this message afterwards, then take it up with the Lord. I'm just kidding. You can talk to me about it too. That was supposed to make somebody laugh, but as I said, a hardened heart closes reasonable ears. So first and foremost, let me say this. This verse, wives, submit to your husbands. It does not stand alone or on an island. It should never, ever be used that way. Husband, it is sinful to use that verse in isolation whether in seriousness or in jest, because as my wife likes to tell me, some percentage of kidding is serious. I don't know, right? So uh, it's never to be used alone. Wife, it is also sinful to treat it as if it does not exist. You see, you are to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Here's what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you submit yourself to your husband in the same way that you submit yourself to the Lord, right? 
We know that the Lord's motivations are always good. We know that the Lord is perfect. We know that the Lord is holy and righteous. And so when he delivers an instruction, we all take heed because we have faith in that. Well, as you may know, or maybe you don't know, I'll pull back the curtain a little bit. Your husband is a knucklehead, okay? He's a knucklehead. And yeah, uh, my wife's not in here, so I'm going to pretend that doesn't pertain to me. It's the rest of you, right? It's the rest of, but, but we're knuckleheads. We, we, we do our best, but you know, we all fall short of the glory of God. And specifically husbands, we, we come up short quite often. But here's what it does mean. It means that in submitting yourself to your husband, you are rendering a service to the Lord. You serve the Lord by supporting your husband's God-given place of authority. And if you struggle with saying, oh, I'm not one to submit, or I, again, am not a servant, or I am not a slave in my household. First of all, this verse is not saying that, not even close, okay? But also, you've got a problem with God, okay? Not with your husband, and certainly not with me. But the family was designed to reflect the church. And in that reflection of the church, your husband is to represent Christ. This verse is not a justification to be in an abusive relationship. This verse is is not a justification to do absolutely everything that your husband tells you to do. And husbands, you need to hear that as well. You are not your wife's master. The Lord is Lord of all. It's okay, you can say amen to that. The Lord is Lord, the Lord of all. And your husband is supposed to be reflecting the Lord to you in your life. And if he is not doing that, then I might tell you he's probably not worthy of submittance. But, but, let's continue. Let's finish. This verse does not call women to be blind, deaf, and dumb, okay? You can call a spade a spade. You can tell your husband, hey, husband, you're being an idiot, and if you do that, that's probably going to kill you, right? Like, shut off the power before you shove pliers in the socket, right? Help them out. Don't just be like, well, I was trying to be submissive, and I thought, you know, he surely he knew, Uh, but now it smells like bacon in our house, right? Like, that's not okay. We don't want to lead them down a wrong path either. What it does do is it calls women to have faith, to trust the design that God has for the family. And so wives or future wives, that's why it's so important to wisely choose your husband because you do not want a husband that's going to take verses out of context to use their God-given position and lord it over you to try to make you do things that God would never call you to do in the first place and to do it just because I said so and I'm the boss and this and that and the other. It is extremely important for you to choose your partner wisely. Okay? Extremely important. And as I said before, it's not to be used out of context. So let's continue to look at the context. Verses 23 and 24 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. 
Again, and this is the key to this whole passage, this whole dynamic, is that your relationship with your husband, husband and wife, okay, that relationship is supposed to mimic the relationship, supposed to mimic the relationship between Christ and the church. Just as the church is Christ's body, our wives are a part of ours. Right? That's why in Genesis 2.24 and later in this passage that we read, it talks about how a man leaves his family and a woman leaves her family and the two become what? One flesh. Husbands, you should see no end and beginning to where you and your wife are in your life. Everything you do should be done in order to better each other, Right? to strengthen that bond, to push forward in your oneness that you have achieved in Christ. It would make no sense, wives, it would make no sense for the church to lead Christ. In the same way, it says that wives have to, you know, we we have to follow the design that, that has been set up for us in that The husband should be the lead of the wife, the lead of the family, pointing us in a godly direction. In the same sentence, husbands, it makes zero sense for a husband to harm his own body. In fact, no sense whatsoever. That's why in verse 25, it goes on to say, husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We learned last week, we talked about it last week, how the, uh, the epitome of love is found in the sacrificial nature of Christ, that there's no greater love that a man could have than to lay down his life for his friends. And your wife is certainly your friend. Husbands are called to sacrifice for their wives in the same way that Christ did for the church giving up everything, including our lives, if it means the betterment for our wives. Okay, giving up everything, even if it meant our life, for the betterment of our wife. That's got to be a t-shirt somewhere. What does that mean, husbands? It means that your desires take a back seat to your wife's desires. That's one. It means that your dreams take a backseat to her dreams. It means that your needs take a backseat to her needs. Now, I don't mean that there isn't give and take, and I don't mean that your dreams never come to fruition, but here's what I will tell you, that as we experience that oneness in flesh, we should start to have the same dreams. We should start to have the same goals. We should start to have the same desires. Can we put our wives first to reflect Christ in our relationship? I'm going to tell you a quick story. I'm going to try to make a quick story, but uh, I got a lot left, so we may be here forever, and I apologize, right? I'm going to tell you a quick story, though. When I graduated from Evangel, my dream, my dream was to go to seminary um, in Texas. I wanted to move to Texas. I wanted to go to seminary. We had talked about it a lot, and Jerrica was not on board with that dream. 
Not that she didn't want me to attend seminary. Not that she um, wasn't supportive of my journey in uh, ministry, right? She has always been. She changed her whole entire career path to choose a career that would better fit me being in ministry, right? But she had no peace about this scenario and this situation. But it had always been my dream once I had surrendered to the ministry to eventually go to seminary and, and to move to Texas in order to attend this specific seminary that I thought really highly of. And I just wanted to chase after that. But she wasn't there for that. She just wasn't. And the reason being is because she has a little brother named Isaac. You guys have seen Isaac. He's not little anymore. Uh, he's got a new baby and he's grown up and he's a great man. And, and we had a major role in his life, a major role in his life. And she didn't want to just pick up and leave him and, 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 and kind of turn our backs on that role that we had in his life and, and the leadership that maybe he needed from us and just the support and just us being here. And at the time, I was really upset because I wanted to chase this dream. To be honest, I hadn't prayed a lot over the dream. I hadn't put a lot of thought into the dream. I just knew that this was the dream and this was the dream that I wanted to chase. Well, my wife, on the other hand, was very prayerful about the dream. Very prayerful, prayed all the time about it, and just felt like God was saying, at least in that time, not right now, right? Not right now. And so it came to fruition that we didn't do that, that I put my dream, what I thought was my need, on the back burner in order to fulfill hers, and I took a stance of faith saying, God, you're going to make everything okay. I know that you'll make everything okay. It was the best thing that has ever happened to us to not go through with that dream. And hear me, guys. It was a good dream. It was a worthy pursuit. It was a godly pursuit. But it wasn't necessarily right for us in that moment. And if I hadn't just taken a hard line in that moment, if I hadn't had peace about being sacrificial of my own wants, own needs, own desires in that moment to fulfill what she wanted and desired and needed in that moment, I will tell you one thing, I wouldn't be the pastor of Cross Point Fellowship. I wouldn't have been here to take the position that I took at Cross Point Fellowship as the youth pastor when I first came to Cross Point Fellowship. And oh, how the dominoes have fallen all throughout our life and how I can see God's fingerprint on every single thing, all because I took a moment to say, not my will, but God's will and what she needs. Sometimes leadership, men, is listening. Sometimes leadership is recognizing that it doesn't have to be about you and that things will still be okay. Here's what I know. Your wife isn't here to serve you. A godly wife will do it anyways. But just listen to me. Your wife is not here to serve you. She is here to follow your leadership. And in that way, to follow your leadership in the way you serve her to serve others, namely the children that you share. And if you happen not to share children, anyone who might be blessed by her presence, she is affecting the kingdom based off of your leadership. And as a godly woman, the natural piece of being in that serving, respectful, love and respect relationship that is marriage, that will take place. And you will find that you serve one another. 
The goal, husbands, is to live, love, and lead in such a way that our wives don't have to plug their noses as they serve the Lord by submitting to our leadership. I want you to think about that. It's to live in such a way, to love in such a way, to lead in such a way that she can trust where you are pointing the direction to go because she sees Jesus in you. Because she sees Jesus in your actions. Because she sees Jesus in the way that you love. What occurs? What happens when this submit, love, relationship is perfected is a harmonious partnership that God gifted to Adam and Eve in the garden before they screwed things up. Right? Adam had no suitable helper, not servant, helper. And so God fashioned him one out of his own body. And they were one flesh and they lived harmoniously together. Moving beyond that, we work as Christ in our relationship to lead her to holiness that she can only experience through Christ. Why do we sacrifice for our wives? Why do we put her first as Christ did for the church? It is to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. This is verse 26 going through 33. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. We hear it once again. He who loves his wife loves himself. And that is a good thing. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for their body just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body for this reason. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. A direct quote from Genesis. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ in the church. However, Each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Wives, you may not always agree. You may not always agree. But can you see the love that your husband has for you and the decisions that he is trying to make, not only on your behalf, but on the behalf of your family? Can you remove your pride and can you see the value in his leadership and what it is that he's doing? Can you have faith in God that your husband is the man that you want him to be in Christ? Will you follow where he goes? Husbands, will you lead in such a way that your wife has no reason to question your leadership? Once this love and respect relationship is perfected, which is something that takes constant work and communication, we shift the focus of the role to children. I'm really going to have to speed up. I don't, I don't know what's happening here, but here we go. Okay, so verse 2, it says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. That is not true. There's another commandment with a promise. But what, what theologians think is that for Paul, this was a primary commandment, right? It's a primary commandment. It's important. He wants children to 
honor their father and mother with a promise so that it will go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. These instructions I have come to realize are all about prosperity, education, and intentionality. Okay, first and foremost, we are to honor our father and mother. This is a primary commandment in Paul's mind, right? It's an important commandment in his mind. It has that promise of prosperity. We should honor our parents so that things might go well in our lives. Part of this speaks to the wisdom with which they instruct us. We honor their instruction by following their wisdom, right? Our parents teach us by the way that they have learned from lessons learned from their parents, by mistakes that they have made, right? My, my mom, mom, sorry, my mom, right, has been married more than once. Uh, and I, I'm not, she has admittedly, she'll tell you, made some mistakes. And so a lot of times when she sees me making some of those same mistakes, she steps up, says, hey, you know who you remind me of right now? Me. And I'm, shut up, mom right? Why does she do those things? Does she do those things because she takes joy in the fact that she's made mistakes? No. She looks for ways to make my life better, to make me get out of my own way so that I learn from mistakes that she made that hopefully I won't have to make myself in order to learn that lesson, right? And honoring her, part of honoring her for me is taking those conversations, removing pride, not being a jerk and saying, I hear you, mom. Thank you. Doesn't always go that way. Usually the thank you comes later. I should tell you that, right? But it's just a small example. We should honor our parents so that we might enjoy a long life. Again, part of that speaks to the wisdom, to the learning that takes place in doing so. Part of this is for the reward in doing so, right? So that we may live a long life, so that we may live a, a prosperous life here on earth. Another reason to do so is because it's right. Colossians 3.20 says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, the reason that this is going to take a little longer than I expect is because we have to just speak about some heavy stuff this morning. Some of you, when you hear this verse, honor your father and mother, you struggle with it greatly. See, you had parents that were abusive. You had parents that harmed you. Maybe physically, maybe emotionally, maybe they were spiritually abusive, maybe they were all three. Today, this morning, I want to tell you that make no doubt about it, God hates abuse. God hates abuse. As Galatians 6, 7 states, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Matthew 18, 6 says that if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, right? He's talking about little children who he wants to be able to come to him. Those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone tied around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. I offer these verses as encouragement to tell you that a man will reap what he sows and that God sees your plight and that your parents will receive justice. They will receive justice. But I also, I also encourage you this morning to think about how those of you who have 
found yourselves in this situation can still honor your parents. As difficult as that sounds. And what it might mean as it pertains to your situation. Here's what it doesn't mean. Here's what honor your father and mother doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you ignore the abuse. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you pretend as if it didn't happen. It doesn't mean that you can't be angry. It doesn't mean that you can't be upset. It doesn't mean that maybe you haven't had to break off ties in that relationship. It doesn't mean that that you have to let the abuser have a sustained presence in your life. Here's what it does mean. It does mean that you apply this teaching to your heavenly father who is perfect, who has loved you, and will continue to do so. And that by honoring God, your perfect heavenly father, you might find a way to heal. You might find a way to forgive, not for their sake, but for your own. That you would find a way to deny their actions power over your future. That you break the cycle and love your spouse and your children and others in the way that you should have been loved by your parents who didn't love you like Scripture tells us they should have. Maybe it just means that at at the, the very best you can offer a prayer for them. Here is what I know. We teach our children how to treat us based on how we treat our parents. And we teach our children how to raise their children by how we raise them. We wield so much power as parents. We have to realize that taking on that responsibility and that role goes so far beyond ourselves. We have a duty to our parents and a duty to our children to reflect Christ in those relationships even when it is beyond difficult. What this means for me is that we have a responsibility to be intentional with our parenting. We have a responsibility to be intentional with our parenting. So when it tells us fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. It's telling us that we need to avoid needlessly frustrating our children. That we must have a designed purpose and a reason why we teach the lessons that we teach. God loves us in a perfect way that I know that for me personally, I still struggle at times to comprehend. And it's really hard, I think, at times to love people the way we should when we weren't given good examples growing up. And for that, you should and will receive grace. At the same time, at the same time, I'm here to tell you today that you have a heavenly father who loves you beyond comprehension and 
who can take all the evil that you've experienced and find a way to use it for your good and for the good of the kingdom. We've got to be able to tear down those walls and make him our focus in order to develop a love for others that reflects the love of Christ. I don't know if I'm making any sense this morning, but I hope you've heard me. I hope you've heard God. I hope hope you've seen the truth that is in the scripture. And I hope that you can start a movement in your life of praying for those that you struggle with. Because if you really want to see God move in their life, if you really want to see the, the, the chains loosened that maybe they have placed on your life, there is no better way than to turn them over to the Lord. No better way. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now today and Lord, today I feel like was a heavy day and sometimes when we study scripture, God, it speaks so against the way that we feel. And we have a hard time hearing and we have a hard time wanting to obey. We have a hard time sometimes seeing God that it's useful and it's here to, to, to build us up and not break us down. God, today I, I pray for every single person in this room as we're tired after losing an hour of sleep, as we're, we're weary from the week, as we're dealing with tough relationship issues. God, I pray that you would help change us to give us a heart like Christ. God, if there are husbands and wives this morning that are at odds, Lord, bring them to the table. Help them to hammer out the issues in their relationship. Give them hearts full of grace, minds full of understanding. As we struggle with our children and to be children, God, I pray that you give us an attitude of honor. Help us to unfold the muddiness of the relationships that we might have with some of our parents that were not godly parents. Reveal to us what it means to honor them In our lives, help us to be prayerful for those that have persecuted us and that have done evil against us. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. I'm going to be up here this morning and I'm ready to pray with anybody who would like to come pray with me. You can also use our stage as an altar if you'd like to just come and kneel and pray this morning. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Chase 
if you'll come stand kind of over here to the left side and be ready to pray for somebody. Joy, if you'll stand back there in the very back and be ready to pray for anybody who might want to, to pray with you this morning. As I said, I'll be up here. Whatever you have need to pray about, come pray. I believe that there is power in prayer, that God changes things because of prayer, that he listens, that he wants to bless, and that sometimes what he's waiting for is for you to ask him to get involved because he wants that relationship with you. So believe this morning, step out in faith, be courageous, and believe that your prayer will change something. Come pray with one of us, or as I said, pray on your own. If you want to talk about what it means to be a follower of Christ, to accept forgiveness, right? It's a perfect time. As I told you last week, we've got another baptismal service coming up in April. We'll walk you through this process and we'll get you dunked with the others. If you'd like to become a member of our church, if that's something you haven't done yet, talk to me after service about that. We would love to have you. Right now is a time to stand and reflect and worship and pray. This time is yours. This time is God's. Give him his due. Stand with us now and let's worship.